0: folks, welcome back to Parenting is Political. This is Mo, and we have another interview this week for our podcast. I sat down in person. It wasn't even over the phone, y'all. I sat down in person with Sayred Evans to talk about what it means to be a childless parent. And also uh, a bunch of stuff about white supremacy and how to be a better white person. This episode is really, really, really good. Um, so I hope that y'all take the time to listen to it and then like, share it, but then maybe also listen to it again. Um, so the reason that we're talking about being a childless parent is a while back we posted on our Instagram and our Facebook this quote. It says that there are childless parents, they guide, they nurture, and they care for young people, and they matter. Um, and a lot of y'all had some interesting responses to that. A lot of y'all had some strong feelings and thought that in order to be a parent, you had to have children, which is just um, not true. And so I decided to have on our show a guest who is a childless parent to, sh- to show y'all that every iteration of family is valid. So uh, I sat down with Sayerd. A little bit about who Sayerd is. Sayard is a white cisgendered person who occupies a significant number of positions of power and privilege in this world and who is committed to leveraging every single ounce of that Power and privilege to create space for marginalized people and to push back against the injustices of this world. She has worked in the nonprofit sector since she was a teenager. She's attained a significant level of educational achievements and remains dedicated to the constant fight for justice and rightness in all forms. Sayard's pronouns are she, her, hers. And without further ado, we are going to jump into the interview. I hope you all enjoy. Hey Parenting is Political listeners, welcome back. I have an incredibly awesome interview with me today because it's in person, it's not over the phone. Yay! Yay! Today I have with me Sayard Evans, um, who is a great dear friend to Jasmine and I, and I'm just so excited that you're in my home. I'm excited to be here. Yes, you're here for like a conference, mm-hmm. but you came in early yes. for this interview. Yes. Which is awesome. I appreciate it. Um, so anyway, we're just going to jump right into it because uh, I've already done the intro. Yeah. But it just hasn't been recorded yet. So <laughs> it's just like real it's awesome, time. Though. It's really awesome. But it's going to be great. I already know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, Sarah, do you just want to like, introduce
1: us to you and who you are? Um, sure. Who I am. So I'm Sayard. I am an um, executive in the nonprofit sector Um, I have spent, uh, the last two decades of my life, uh, doing that work. I started doing that work when I was 19 years old and, um, I, uh, I provide disability services. Um, I oversee an organization that provides those supports. Um, really my dream job would be a direct support professional in that field, uh, but somebody needs to do this yeah. part of it. It's not my favorite, but um, that's where I am today. I love that work. I found myself in that work, um, and I really uh, learned about life and the world in that work. And so I'm forever appreciative. That's what I. That's what I spend my time doing in exchange for a paycheck. <laughs> um, And as a part of that, it really forces me to engage in lots of social justice work. Um, You can't really do the type of work that I do um, without being connected to the social justice realm. Otherwise, you're furthering oppression. If you're not in tune with the social justice components of our world and you're engaging in caregiver kind of work, then you're just squashing people further. So we, we try really hard to, yeah. to eliminate that as much as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you put that. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because we posted a while back that there are a quote like on our page, and we said that there are childless parents. Um, they guide and they nurture and they care for young people and they matter. Um, And we had some interesting response to that post, which is (laughs) like most of the posts that we put on our social media. People have some strong feelings about it. This one in particular, though, really irked me Um, because we talk about and people love to preach and like amen and amen to the posts that we have that every iteration of family is valid. Um, And that should include every iteration of family. Um, You are in charge of how you define your family. And who's in your family and who's not in your family, and so um, I just wanted to reach out to you and get your experience of
1: what, like, who makes up your family and how y'all were formed. Sure. Um, so before I get into that, yes. I, I have a theory um, about why you get those interesting. Please um, tell me <laughs> responses to this idea that. Um, childless parents exist, and it, it really has to do with the power and authority that our traditional society places on the role of parent, mm-hmm. right? That for lots of people, the only way that they feel empowered in their day-to-day life is as a parent. It's the only time that they really can execute authority over another human being, mm-hmm. and so um, they they fight to kind of keep that in, in their social circle, right? Mm-hmm. That this is, this title only belongs to me because I I meet these, um, traditional criteria. And so if you start to give this title to someone else that don't meet this traditional criteria, then you water down my power, right? Mm. You water down my authority. Yes, exactly. Um, And people don't like that, especially white people. (laughs) Um... But yeah, so but so me, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, have a husband. Um, I'm in a heteronormative marriage uh, to cisgender man um, who is black. I'm a white cisgender woman, um, and we have a teenager, um, and uh, our teenager has a biological mom mm-hmm. and a stepdad. And an ex-stepdad and a biological dad um, and uh, seven siblings on her biological mom's side and one on her dad's side we have no biological children um, of our own um, and our teenager is uh, biracial so her dad is her biological dad is black and her biological mom is white And no one in the world understands our family. (laughs) Um, We show up deep, right, when it's time for birthday parties and Mm -hmm. um, plays and recitals. Like this whole host of people come and no one can ever, it's like, is that dad? Is that mom? Is that? (laughs) Um, A lot of people know her to us as our kid and just assume that, one of us is a step parent Mm -hmm. um or assume that we've adopted or assume like there's lots of assumptions and they they usually flow with the conversation right up until I say something about her mom and then people are like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. Like wait wait mom? Where she doesn't live with you she what? Um and so it's very, very confusing. Yes. Very confusing. Um but I absolutely am a childless parent. Mm -hmm. Like I and you know it's really interesting, like um Despite the fact that, um, you know, I was born female and identify cisgender and all of those things, the, the female components of my body never worked right. Yeah. Um, and I, I always knew they never worked right. And I never developed, like, that desire to have a child, mm-hmm. right? I, you know, as people would always say, oh, you're great with kids. And, right, I love kids. Kids are awesome. And I am great with kids. Um, you should have one. No. No. <laughs> no. I don't want to do that. Like the, I, I always told people, like, I envision pregnancy as that scene from the alien. Right? Oh, my God. Like, yes. Same. <laughs> so, same. I was like... Same hardcore. <laughs> I just, like, I don't know. I just, yeah. I've always struggled with that concept. It's never been that desire in me, but... Well, and people love to tell
0: women what to do with their bodies. Absolutely, so that makes sense. absolutely. You should. You yeah. should. Right? Oh, thank you I mean, for telling me. You should fuck fashion. off. Yeah, so, you should fuck off.
1: That's cool too. <laughs> but so this kid who's um, in November will be seventeen, which is amazing. Like if so you old now, yeah. Like oh my gosh. adult, really. Yes. We're there. <laughs> um, but. It, when uh when she was born I, I worked with her mom. Mm-hmm. We were we were coworkers. We were acquaintances. We both had like the same position and so we had like these um meetings once a week that we took part in together and so we didn't really hang out. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't really friends. Like when I would have I, I remember one time like I had a, a rough Uh, week at work and she showed up knocked on my door and brought me some cookies you know she's like I know you don't smoke so here's some some chocolate right so we had that kind of relationship and so her dad and I were actually pretty close friends um before they got together and then they just never worked like Mm -hmm. it was a really conflict-ridden relationship um even to this day Um, And so my connection with her really interfered with my relationship with her dad. Like he took it personal. Right. But when she um, she took off work to have the baby, I reached out to her after the baby was born to say, hey, just checking on you. How are things going? She bursts out in tears. Right. Basically, I don't have a place to go. Um, you know, her family really struggled with the whole biracialness of everything. She's white, cisgender, heterosexual woman. Yeah. Um, and they really struggled with all of that. And so I'm like, I have a spare room, right? Like, that's literally how our relationship um, started was I have a spare room. Yeah. So this baby moves in, right, this tiny little thing. And I remember the first time I saw her, she screamed the whole time mm. um, and just was, you know, just she's one of those kids that, like, feeds off of the anxiety around her and very in tune with the world. But I knew, like, this is this is my kid. Um, so they stayed with me for several months. And then when they moved out, like, we had already bonded. Like, this was already my child. Um, And so from that day forward, like, we, our lives have always been that parenting relationship. And so, you know, she has always had a room at my house, um, always stayed regularly, really most weekends um, at my house. And we have always taken on that full parenting responsibility for her. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no distinction and, and, you know, What she has in life is um, very much added. Right, people. People have always kind of looked at the relationship. Well, that takes away from this, and that takes away from this. Fear and, of scarcity, man. You know, and it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Like this kid wants for nothing. She's literally the only child and one of an enormous sibling group. Right. Yeah. Like all the best of all the worlds um, come awesome. to her. So yeah.
0: And you still have a relationship with her bio- biological mom, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which, no, we co-parent.
0: Yeah, which is like. I feel like once people learn that, it just blows their mind. Yeah, Because absolutely. in our society, it's like, well, if you have that person's kid, you probably shouldn't ever be in sure. community with them again, which makes literally no sense. No. But that's how, like, state violence works. of so, like, mm-hmm. taking folks' kids from them. Sure. And that's, like, the model they were given. Um, but you, you co-parent. Mm-hmm. And you still, like, involve this parent
1: yeah. in all the decisions and y'all have conversations. And- yeah. Well, and I, I say all the time, like, I, I respect her mom so much. Yeah. Um, because I, like... Everything in our society conditions you. And, and her mom is definitely kind of that more traditionally oriented person. Yeah. And, and so all of my radical kind of <laughs> ideas about the world are mine and they're yes. unique to me. Um, you see them reflected in the child for sure. Um, but I know that's a, that challenges everything about her mom's life and her mom's uh, existence. And it's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's, it's a messy process Um, but through it all, it is this commitment that her mom has to, this is the best thing for my kid, right? Like Mm -hmm. it it may hurt my feelings often. It may be something that really is gross to me and I would like to push away because it invalidates me and my, you know, um, but 17 years of commitment to dealing with that, um, kind of pain and conflict ongoing, for the best interest of this kid. You know, that I I will always love and
0: respect her for that. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. And for all those folks who are listening, who never understood childless parents before, I really hope that you roll it back and listen to all that a second time and let it really sink in. People are allowed to define their families however they would like. And every iteration of it is valid. Um, So thank you for sharing your experience. Yeah. Um, so usually I don't like to have white people on my show. Yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a
1: show, but... No,
0: if, but if you had the Sayers show, I'd listen to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but really, uh, I think that cisgendered white folks and heteronormative looking relationships, um, get the center stage a lot. And so many of you and myself even were like, what, why are we having this guest on? That's true. Um, however... That being said, I think it's really, really important to also provide models for white folks who are trying to figure out how to be better white people, essentially. Um, And I really wanted to reach out to you and talk to you about your experience with your own whiteness and your experiences with other people's whiteness. Um, And we obviously, for those who have been listening, have been going through this little mini-series about the characteristics of white supremacy culture. Um, and how that deeply affects so much of how we think and act and behave and how, by very small steps, how to start unlearning those things and how to start practicing new habits um, that are restorative and transformative. And I feel like Sayred, without giving too much praise and accolades, you're doing a fantastic job of this. I've seen it, um, and it's made an impact in my life, and it's helped me. Um, Move and shift towards being a less terrible white person So, um, yeah, let's talk about it Um, Whiteness, white supremacy culture Um, You're white, Mm -hmm. I'm white Um, I don't know, like, what's your journey been of unlearning these things And then, like, relearning it And then, like, talking to other white people about it
1: (laughs) Wow, that's that's a really um, loaded kind of question It is um, I'm not but, afraid
0: of it, though. <laughs> no,
1: no, I, I dig it. Um, so my journey has been that I was born um, into a poor, um, white farming family in a very poor, white community, um, and uh, I I had the fortune, um, <laughs> that, that it's going to sound ironic, but I had the fortune of of um, parents who really struggled with poverty and mental health and mm. just kind of management of all the things, but who loved the hell out of um, me and my sister. Mm. And so... Um, it where I grew up that was that was not necessarily um, the case for any of my cohort or any of the other kids around me so what the other kids got was this indoctrination to white supremacy and And um, really using white supremacy and racism as a tool to validate their own very impoverished existences. Yes. Right? So my life may be shit, but somebody else's is worse, Mm -hmm. right? At least I'm not them. Yeah. Um, And that's really what racism is. um, And that's what white supremacy is. And the irony is, is that the footwork, right, the labor of white supremacy gets carried out by those folks that are every bit as oppressed by the system. Yes. um, Exactly. They just have the distinction of being white, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's a sick, twisted system, really, that all filters down from capitalism, right? Capitalism uses amen these and things as a tool um, to kind of perpetuate that. So my all the kids that I grew up with were kind of fed this, right? And, and they were taught to define what success in life looks like based on all of that kind of crap, Um, And and they were also um, tools to reinforce the power and authority of their parents, Mm -hmm. right? You had kids to be a parent, to establish yourself in that role of um, supreme power and authority, even over just one life, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's really how that flowed. My parents sometimes struggle to keep it together on a daily basis. Um, really didn't have the emotional energy to put the labor in to indoctrinate children. Um, they also had really strong-willed, headstrong children, so it would have taken even more than that. Um, typical investment of labor. Yes. So they didn't, right? They didn't invest in that process. Um, so we really had the ability to kind of live in this bubble and analyze and think about mm-hmm. things. Um, even to the degree that they didn't have the ability to teach us better ways, they at least gave us the independence and the freedom um, to learn better ways right That's to awesome. ask about better ways um, and even even when it was hard for them right like I remember um, I remember, Relatives and family members um, saying really derogative, hateful things when I was a little kid and and me not knowing what they meant, Mm -hmm. but just knowing that it sounded hateful and awful and saying like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds awful. Right? I,
0: I have those same memories. That's so, and so, I've never thought about that
1: before. The chorus was like, oh, well, you're just naive little girl. Like, you don't understand yet. You don't know, you know. But I'm like, it just, it doesn't add up, mm-hmm. right? Everything that everybody around me is saying just doesn't add up. Um, and and so, you know, just not having that constant driving force to say, you're white and that makes you better, Um is really really important and then that underlying thing where um my parents always I've always felt like this um prestige, right? Mm-hmm. This that that being my parent was their honor. Um mm-hmm. and uh and and oftentimes I've felt like they feel like they they aren't deserving of that role, kind of thing. I remember when I um, when I got my um, uh, PhD, my dad called, and or I called him and was telling him about it. And I remember him saying, "You know, I'm really proud for you, sis." Oh. And I like it. Just it stopped me in my tracks, and I was like. You can be proud of me, and he was like, "No, I'm proud for you, right?" Like, there's this, there's almost this reverence, yes, right, with us, Papa Bear, yeah. That I just, um, you're such an amazing thing and the best thing for me. And it's funny because I can see my sister has two kids, um, and then with with my kid, like I tell people, my parents, my family. Um, I, I'm, I'm very challenging because I'm a very independent person. Mm-hmm. I'm that you're not going to get too close. You're not going to hug me too often. You're not, you know. I, I, I don't just, have
0: any experience knowing anybody like that. You <laughs> know,
1: I, I just, uh, yeah, no, we're not going to be all warm and fuzzy shit. But I watch them love me by loving my kid. Right. Like I watched like that total and I see it like that total dedication to just loving me and however I'll let them do that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, So my, my, my kid and my mom actually went on a cruise, uh, earlier in the summer, which is just a whole debacle in and of itself. Um, but yeah, their relationship manifests kind of that devotion to, Mm -hmm. um, just centering a child, right? right? They had no idea what they were doing. Um, they didn't know how countercultural it was. No, they didn't. Um, but they knew that's that was the most important thing in their world, and so they really taught me from the beginning, right? That, that's awesome. Um, and, and, which is funny, because I think for probably the first 25, 30 years of my life, I would have told you they were really didn't know much about that parenting thing. Not really sure mm-hmm. they did the best job at that all the time but really they did right just out of just just the the sheer um obliviousness of what I'm supposed to be conditioning you Mm -hmm. for and just loving the hell out of you right just just celebrating this crazy little beast that you are uh, that really causes us problems. Um, so that's my orientation, right? The the benefit and glory of dysfunction.
0: Yes, I um, love
1: that. And I got to build off of that. And um, and so then in the sixth grade in my little rural all white impoverished community, I um, I played basketball because that's all you did. Mm-hmm. Basketball or meth. That's what you did when we were growing up. Sometimes out. both. Right, right. Every now and then. <laughs> um, but uh, so I met this um, this girl. I played basketball against her. We didn't go to the same school. We went to neighboring schools. And we bonded over the fact that we both had fucked up names. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my name's Sayard, and her name is Coquise. Um, and so Coquise and her family, um, she's biracial, a white mom. Uh, black dad and she had three siblings who white mom and black dad they all three had the same dad her dad was not in the picture Mm, um and so they were the only blackness anywhere around where we Mm -hmm. were from and so we became really close friends um partly because of the fucked up names but also partly because i lived way out in the sticks and she was not long distance
0: oh nice for me which is rare i I grew up and so whoever right. was near was Absolutely. like BFF.
1: <laughs> but everybody I went to school with was long distance from yes. me, right? So I talked to her every single day for hours and hours on end. Um, so we became really close friends. And she experienced a lot growing up um, with from lots of realms of her life, but particularly just the, the white supremacy and the racism mm. that she encountered. Um, her drive to be perfect and to be better than perfect was astronomical And there are so many components of racism that I got to see from proximity to that family Mm -hmm. and really understand what those things look like and uh, microaggressions and, um, you know, just full out onslaughts of aggression and um, really begin to kind of understand racism in a way that none of the white kids growing up where I came from got that perspective, right? It just wasn't... It wasn't in their purview to even look at or see. And so I learned a lot there in just trying to not be trash. right? Trying to not perpetuate all of the violence that whiteness brings, but it really was when this kid was born, right? I remember when her mom was pregnant with her, I was terrified about her hair. I knew that no one was going to do her hair right, and she was going to look crazy, and I just didn't want that for her. And so I, I... I bought this book, um, I bought multiple copies of this book. It it was the title of it is it's all good hair. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just this basic, right? Just simple things, put some twists in. Don't, don't do that ponytail with the crown and it just don't do it. Um, and so I bought this book for everybody for, you know, and I'm sure nobody ever opened it or read a page in it, but I, um, I just knew that it wasn't enough to know that she was going to encounter racism. It wasn't enough um, to just love her, mm-hmm. right? That this child had to understand racism and what it looked like and what was coming so that she didn't internalize it. Yeah, I saw so many people who internalized it mm. that... Um, when the world around you, when you're a black person in white spaces, which is, are lots of black people, most black people at some point in their growing up process, that if you don't understand what racism is and you don't understand what it looks like and you don't understand what's coming at you, the only choice that you have is to feel like there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Right. Like absolutely. people treat you this way. This is happening to yeah. you because of you and your flaws. Um, and I didn't want that for her.
0: Yeah, I feel like for white folks who have like the privilege of loving a black person, mm-hmm. love is never going to be enough. Mm-mm. And that's Mm-mm. not something that a lot of people understand. Right. It's like the, that's the basic foundation. If you're not doing anything other than that, you're mm-hmm. failing them.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I learned along the way um, is that white supremacy is um, conditioned into us the moment that we get here. And whiteness is violent. It is it, it, the default for whiteness mm. is that it is violent, mm. and if you're not actively working to disarm that, then you are bringing violence into Black and Brown people's worlds. Absolutely. Period. Um, and it, it there's it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you have terrible intentions. It's because that's how white supremacy works. Yeah. Right. And so it requires an active engagement and an active investment in disarming your own yes. violence, in disarming your own whiteness. And that isn't um, isn't a notion that a lot of white people have even stumbled onto. I think like everybody's at that place where I just want to love everybody, right? I don't why want any nice? I don't <laughs> want black people to experience racism. Okay, well, what the hell are you doing so that they don't experience yeah. racism? Because just wishing that it were that way not um, is why we continue to perpetuate racism. Absolutely, right? yeah. So I talk a lot about the fact that, you know, for and not even just with with whiteness or or race, but with any type of position of power and supremacy, right? With any cisgenderness or, you know, heteronormative whatever it is, whatever your characteristic of of power is, that when you encounter the injustices, mm-hmm. and when you encounter the executions of the system of of oppression, you only have two choices, right? only two legitimate choices that exist. You either actively work against it, mm-hmm. right? You fight it, you push back, you actively engage in the resistance of that, or you perpetuate it. Right? Yep. There, there is no neutral. There's right? no neutral. Neutral perpetuates. Mm. And and so there are so many people that just have this really strong desire to be neutral um in that realm and and all they're accomplishing is that they're perpetuating it, right? That that you are enacting the violence um, by not resisting the violence. That's our reality. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I
0: feel like um, the thing that comes up a lot whenever you're actively like you're actively like working on your whiteness to not let it be so terrible, and you're like checking yourself, and you're doing all these things. One of the most common things and we had a whole episode over this was that there will be open conflict. There will be times when, because you're so aware of your whiteness, that you will become aware of other people's whiteness and how they show up in spaces. And it takes all that's within you to not
1: fight that person, right? Sure. <laughs> I'm prone to burning things yes. down. Yes. I have to restrain from burning things down. Say you'd likes fire. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, so, uh,
0: I mean, I've seen you do it in real life, but... Uh, not, not burn things. Not down. burn. No, no. sorry. <laughs> well, just for clarification. Not yet. I mean, <laughs> right, let's right. put a caveat on that. My restraint is strong so far. <laughs> so far. I've seen you. I guess like call out and call in other white folks. Um, and for I just I guess for the folks who are listening, who are white, who are gonna get called out. How, I mean, like, what's your experience with that? I mean, you've already said it's not because, like, you're this terrible person, right? Right. And I don't want to, like, coddle white feelings or white fragility. Yeah. Not interested in that. Nope. And maybe we can just even talk about that. But, like, I don't know. Like, how, how have your experiences of, like, not being kind and polite, which are, like, the gatekeepers of white supremacy, right,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, have, like, shown up in your experiences with other white people and with other white parents and, like, all those things?
1: Yeah, um, well, I know that there are a lot of people that um, read every post that I make, but they stopped commenting a long time ago, because yeah. they don't want to hear that shit. Um, and that's okay, mm-hmm. because I also know that they still read every post, Yeah. right? Um, and um, I had somebody, I've actually had a number of people over the years tell me that, um, Sarah, you're really hard to argue with, right? Mm-hmm. That's the fucking point. I know. <laughs> um, I work hard to be hard to argue with. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, you know I I when I got to that place where I recognized that the whiteness in me was going to be violent to this little kid yeah, right um, none of the rest of that ma- mattered Absolutely. right yeah. I got I, I just um, accepted the fact that um, I had an obligation um, to do everything I could to bend the world for her. <laughs> Um, and, uh, if that meant that there were people that, um, felt like I was unfair Mm -hmm. or felt like I was mean (laughs) or felt like, like that's okay. Yeah. That's okay because, um, I I will do any and everything in my power to, um, make sure that she knows and understands that, um, she is perfect Um, and that everything that's good about this world exists in exactly who she is and um, that there is a very well-documented system of oppression that exists for very, very direct and valid reasons Mm -hmm. that cause the world to engage with her in the way it does. Um, And it has nothing to do with her value and her worth. And so there's there's no longer any emotion associated with my engagement with white people yes. and my engagement with truth and my engagement with fact and reality. Um, and so I, I don't have that same kind of hang up that, oh my gosh, I may offend someone, right? Mm-hmm. You know what's offensive? Racism. <laughs> um, Say it again, <laughs> racism is offensive and oppression is offensive and the fact that we live in a world that mandates you know the existence of marginalized people so that the powerful and and supreme beings of our society can just continue to get fat and rich and Mm -hmm. you know pillage and take it like that's offensive Mm -hmm. to me it's not offensive to me for me to say to you Okay, so here's what you said, and here's what I'm concerned about. Here's yeah. here's where you're missing the point, right? Yeah. Here's where you're not seeing the bigger picture. And um, nobody wants to be wrong in this, right? Yeah. Like, it's why everybody kind of orients to this neutral, right? Mm-hmm. I want to stay in that safe place or really have the best intentions, right? But I'm not offending anybody, and mm-hmm. I'm not. and And you just have to get over that. Right. If you really want to do the work, if you really want to make an impact, you really want to make a difference, um, you want to move the needle, even just the smallest amount that one person can move the needle, you, you have to get over that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I say all the time that the problem is, is that the good, well-intended white people are more concerned about being called a racist than they are about racism. Absolutely. That we guard against this, you know, not me, not me, not Mm -hmm. me, right? And so when you do that, you deflect from the issue at hand, Mm -hmm. right? We can't address racism and we can't address supremacy and we can't address oppression because you are defending yourself Mm -hmm. and deflecting from the actual problem, right? So you just have to learn to sit down and listen and um, take direction from marginalized people and advocate and fight and do the things that they need you to do and really follow that leadership. And ironically enough, that's the piece that so many white people are uncomfortable with. But when you do that, it takes away kind of your own personal um, conflict right mm-hmm. with attack I'm I I'm not doing this for my own personal um edification right yeah I'm doing this because this is what black and brown folks have said this is your role yeah. right this is how you can be beneficial this is what we need you to do yeah um for me it simplifies the issue yeah um it's still it, we we are so far away we are. um I, we we get worse a lot of times, I think. I think mm-hmm. you see this kind of reaction of white people um, to progress and movements because they are defending self when yeah. self has nothing to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. I
0: just needed that all to be said on record. Okay. I just <laughs> I needed it to be said out loud, <laughs> and I need the folks who are listening to like pause and then go back and listen to that all again. Um,
1: thank you for saying all that out loud. <laughs>
0: Now it's on record. Yeah, um. yeah, now
1: it's done. I, I had somebody one time, I went off on some rant, because I'm always going off on some rant, and um, somebody commented on something i written and said, I just read that, like, ten times, and I just, I think that everyone needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. I said, I'd write it on the fucking sky, yes. if I felt like it, wow. it would uh, be absorbed, right? Yes. Like, it's not like this is a secret hidden away somewhere, it's right? It's not. Um, but... I, the, human beings are self-centered egotistical yes. creatures right and at some point uh being able to to get past the you know what does this mean for me mm-hmm. right um I, the irony is is that only white people <laughs> right get hung up on that because for everybody else you know what does this mean for us is a very different question than the yeah. than what white people ask what does this mean yeah. for me right yeah. and we have this very self-centered interest in it we don't want to perpetuate um the violence of whiteness but we also don't want to let go of our self-centeredness enough to fight it yeah. um so that's a pretty sick twisted irony it is mm.
0: Mm-mm-mm. Well, I mean, we have five more hours on this podcast to talk about this, so y'all settle in, right, cozy. Right, we'll, we'll be here for a while.
1: We'll be here for a while.
0: Um, no, I did want to wrap up with just a couple questions. Um, going back to family and um, just your your iteration and family in particular, and that's the question of what do you wish
1: folks would stop assuming about your family? Um, I'll be honest. Um I I think I, I personally got over giving a damn what folks assume a long yeah. time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's real. You know, I think I I I think the kid was probably um maybe 6 or 7. Mm-hmm. Um when I stopped hesitating when people asked, "Do you have kids?" Yeah. Right. Um I, I I would hesitate and then I would say, well, I don't have any biological kids. I've never had any kids, but I have a, like our role, our, our, our labeling mm-hmm. initially from the very beginning started out as godmother, uh, um, yeah. which is pretty ironic because it's not based in any faith tradition or whatever. <laughs> it was just a, a word that existed out in that space, yeah. um, that gave me some proximity and mm-hmm. some legitimacy, um. A little bit, right? Yeah. It just kind of opened the door to that, yeah. and so um, that essentially that's what her mom asked me to be mm-hmm. um, in her world, and so um, I, you know I would say I have a goddaughter and I go into blah 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 blah, and it's all this blah, blah, blah. and it was just, just exhausting, yeah. right? It, it was an attempt to try to um, normalize our setting within the traditional standard. Yes, absolutely. Um, and and somewhere along the way, fortunately, I came to my senses and recognized that's not necessary. No. Like, I don't owe anyone an explanation about what my family looks like. Um, and I don't owe anyone any of the, the lovely commenters who yes. had an issue with uh, <laughs> childless parents yes. can straight fuck off. Mm-hmm. Because I don't owe you... Any type of um, legitimacy, Absolutely. right? Like mine is mine. It's as real as they come. Probably more real, mm-hmm. um, because it's not based on some societally imposed expectation yeah. about what our roles are supposed to be. Um, because that that quote
0: unquote legitimacy is rooted in white supremacy and sure. heteronormativity and cisgenderness, and Absolutely. so what even is a legitimate family?
1: Yeah. No, it's dumb. Um, <laughs> and I mean, so in, in all of it, you know, um, systems of oppression and marginalization aside, the thing that I hope that I um, can impart as a parent is that for me, the most important thing in life is to be genuine and authentic, um, and you, you can't just say that, right? Like you have to live that. Mm-hmm. So your, your love has to be genuine and authentic and your relationships have to be genuine and authentic. And if you're trying to like achieve the criteria and milestones of someone else's definition of what relationships are, they are by definition, not genuine and authentic. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So I, 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 quite frankly, I don't care what people assume. <laughs> I'm okay with them assuming whatever they'd like.
0: I should have expected that <laughs> response for you, Sayred. <laughs> I don't even know why you asked. <laughs> I don't know that that's helpful. But, um, no, it is. It's... I think that's incredibly helpful. Um, and I'm going to end with the question that I love ending with, is what makes parenting political for you, Sayred?
1: Um, I think... Recognizing and understanding that um, the traditional definition of parenting is about power and authority and control, mm. right? And so um, parenting is political because it, in our execution of that traditional approach, right, we're just perpetuating an oppressive system. Um, that is designed to protect powerful and mm-hmm. to exploit marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And so our relationships with our kids line up with that system. If, mm-hmm. if we work and we push and we strive to meet those traditional definitions, we are essentially marginalizing and oppressing our children, even when you love the hell out of them. Yeah. Right? Um, and so... Uh, recognizing that embracing that and understanding that um you know you can't change the world and and rid the world of systems of oppression if you can't do it under your own roof mm. 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 Mm.
0: oh geez well <laughs> i'm gonna listen to this one like 12 times i don't know about y'all um Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This has been very lovely. Again, if we had five more hours, we would do it. I don't even like question our ability to have that much content. Yeah, it would happen. Um, But we are going to we're going to sign off sign off for this one because we don't want to, you know, overload the information. And there was a lot of good content here. So um, do you have anything that you would like to say to close out or do you feel like you got it? Yeah, I, f- I feel good about this. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, then. We will see y'all on the next episode. Bye. Bye, everybody.